pretty excited today. Got a really cool podcast set up for everybody. We've got uh, a good friend of mine and a really talented uh, and special guy, Mike Taylor from Fins West and Catabatic Consulting. Uh, Taylor worked really closely with us uh, before we set off on the Explore Delta trip uh, to help get us semi-trained up, but definitely equipped um, with the proper first aid gear to um, to make sure that we didn't get in any trouble. Uh, and I highly recommend that any of y'all, after listening to this, if what he says moves you, please reach out to him. Please go follow them. If you're an outfitter or God listen to this, uh, make sure and reach out and give them a call. Um, they can definitely help put your business in a place and alleviate worries of uh, something happening to one of your clients and can get you in the right place mentally and physically as far as handling any first aid issues that may come up. So without further ado, Mike Taylor, Fins West, Catabatic Consulting on the Explore Project Podcast, Episode 5. Enjoy. <laughs> All right, everybody, after much, much technical difficulty, we are finally live. Uh, an episode that I've been really excited about, um, getting one of our partners for Explore and a all-around cool dude um, on here to kind of tell us a little bit about what he does, how it integrates with what we do, and then hopefully get some cool adventure stories out of him, but Without further ado, we have Mr. Mike Taylor, a.k.a. Just Taylor, uh, from Fins West and Catabatic Consulting. Mike the Taylor, thank you so much for freaking making some time out of your day. I know you're getting ready to head on a big trip here. Yeah, man. That's your, cue to, to, that's, that's your cue to talk. Like when I say that, then you talk. I did talk. Can you not hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Just oh, I did. I said, hey, I said, hey, th- Frankie, thanks for having me on. Just a little backstory. We've had 57 minutes of audio technical difficulties here, and uh, we're finally, hopefully, getting this record. Come on, dude. You can't do that live there. Yeah, of course I can. Okay. All right, so, Taylor, take us, uh, tell me, tell everybody a little bit about uh, Fins West and what y'all do. So, yeah, man, uh, Fins West, we teach wilderness first aid and medical courses for uh, lodges, outfitters, guides, and individuals in the angling community. And that's a really cool kind of program, what y'all have been doing, where you, you, you go in, and I don't think, you know, we've had this conversation a couple of times, but people don't necessarily think about... Um, what could happen to them on some of these locations and some of the places that you're going are really remote. I mean, like, you know, what we'll get into in a sec where you're heading tomorrow. Um, but you know, you get just like with Oliver's place in the Bahamas, you know, you get down there and run into a serious medical problem or, uh, an injury and, you know, making sure that your, your crew, your guides and the staff is able to take care of it is, pretty damn important and that's where y'all step in yeah totally and frankie you know i don't think that folks in this industry don't think about first aid 
uh, what we found is the folks just didn't know there were other options or better options for first aid medical training um, than, let's say, a basic first aid course. Um, they just they weren't aware that there were you know targeted wilderness and remote courses that really show them what to do in those locations, right? Yeah. I think it's, you know, like when we first got to talking about Explore, I, that was one of the things I was really, really excited about was being able to learn some of that stuff because, you know, I had to go through and do CPR and all that when I got my captain's license 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But, I mean, I I don't remember a lot of that stuff at this point. And, and sitting there going through kind of the whole medical kit that um, that Conterra put together for us, um, it was like overwhelming the amount of information that I was not equipped with. Like if something were to happen, if you know, you start going through those scenarios in your head of, okay, let's say somebody cuts their leg real bad and hits a major artery, then what? Or, you know, that's not stuff that people are typically thinking about when they're booking a trip to the Caribbean to go bone fishing or, you know, a, trip to Belize to go to a, a toll. Like they're, they're not, I don't think they're thinking about what could go wrong. And I don't know that they should have to think about what could go wrong, but I definitely think that what y'all are doing with the outfitters and guides is equipping them with that knowledge that it alleviates a lot of concern that people should have going to visit those places. Yeah, totally. And I think you hit on a key point as well is the the remembering, right? You said you took a first aid CPR course, but when's the last time you used it, right? But never. So when the shit does hit, right? And when the shit hits the fan, is not the time to be headed into the proverbial vault in your brain to try to pull it out. Um, so that's it. People take a, a basic first aid CPR course four or five years ago, and they have a first aid kit. And something happens, it, man. It's just like fishing, right? If you don't fish for a while, you're gonna you're gonna forget things, and it's just not the time to to try to remember. So, I, I guess the point, uh, the other point is with with the way that we do courses, and quite frankly, the way that the other really good wilderness medicine schools do it, is the curriculum is set up straightforward. It's not rocket science, and it just takes away the fluff. All this erroneous information that you don't you don't need to remember. It just goes straight to exactly what you need to know when uh, when things go sideways. But I think the thing that makes it so tough is it, the remembering stuff. Like you're saying, is you know people aren't necessarily going to go for medical refreshers once they've set through some sort of certification like that. I mean, I use I'm a prime example with. The CPR stuff that, you know, I never used it. I never went back and made sure that I knew what was going on, you know, any updates and procedures or stuff like that that I never thought about doing, and I never used it. So it's not like I was – the muscle memory and the reflex stuff was coming back. And and the CPR element is one, one element of what you teach as opposed to all the other – triage stuff all the other wound care you know that whole box that that you gave me was 
shit, that was a year of training going into that thing. And I think the part that is difficult for people, because, I, the, you know, like we talked about before, I think everybody needs this. Like everybody needs one of those first aid kits on their boat or in their truck just for the fact that you never want to use it, but you're damn sure excited to have it when something goes wrong. The 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 thing is, is that luckily for most people, they don't have a lot of stuff go wrong. So it just kind of goes by the wayside and until some bad shit happens. And then you're sitting there with some dude bleeding out on the front of your boat or, and you don't, the, the stress then kicks in and you don't have enough training to combat that and stay calm through that and use the stuff that you learned five years ago that's in this box. Yeah, totally. And I mean, I, you, you hit on a good point as well. I, you could have the best first aid kit on planet Earth. And man, if you don't know how to use it, then you might as well have, you know, a stack of, I don't know, <laughs> you know a stack of books sitting there. I mean, that, that's the key, what we find. Some of these places, uh, lodges or outfitters we go to, man, they have thrown some bank down on some good first aid kits. But it's pointless if you don't know how to use them. I mean, right? No, absolutely. And I think the way that you teach and the way that you communicate the things to do, putting it in, you know, like you're saying, cutting through the fluff and just going straight into the application, at least hitting the high points of, you know, like when we were talking about it for Explore, like going through realistic scenarios of what could happen and how to treat for those scenarios makes it a little bit easier to retain as opposed to reading a textbook and having, um, you know, a bu- some some guy falls off a horse and breaks his leg. I, mean, I don't, you know, we aren't riding any horses. You know, we're going to be in this other environment. And so the more you can relate it to, for me personally at least, the more that you can relate it to something that I'm going to be doing happening and going wrong, the easier it's going to be for me to retain the information about what to do to treat the specific injury that happens. And I think that's something really cool that y'all do going and doing these things on site where you're able to kind of inventory the surroundings, look at what's happening and really place the training into the local environment. So those people are hopefully going to retain more of what you're teaching them. Right. Well, that's a big part of the course or any course we do is, Obviously, the didactic, the, the, the lectures, the, the case studies and stuff, but the main component is hands-on scenarios um, where, exactly, when we get on site, we do an assessment, we talk to the lodge managers, we talk to the guides, and kind of get a sense of the environment. And, of course, since it's in the angling community, well, we do some fishing while we're there to really see, you know, what their environment's like. And I mean, then we do hands-on scenarios. Um, where they don't have to remember what they're reading from a textbook. They're going to remember from a, a true hands-on scenario and just get that mental snapshot in their head. So when it happens, it's not the first time they've actually had to deal with it. Right. Yeah. So let me, let's back up. I think we kind of jumped ahead um, on your background a little bit. Um, why don't you tell everybody or the two people that are going to listen to this um, <laughs> exactly? Give them some background on you and kind of um, 
what you've done because I remember when we were first going through this, uh, it was really impressive all the areas that you've been around as far as your wilderness medicine stuff. Well, cool. I don't know about impressive. I would say what Oliver White told me a while back was, you know, 90% of what goes on is luck. And then when you fall into that luck, you run with it. Um, and that's kind of what we've done. I, I've been a paramedic, a street paramedic for a couple of two decades now. And, um, knew that wilderness and remote medicine is kind of what I wanted to focus on. That was sort of the end game. But in order to do, you know, to be a good medical provider in, in the back country and remote places, you got to be a damn good medic in the front country. You got to kind of know your medicine, right? So again, I spent 20 years being a street medic. I was a flight medic for a while. Um, and then started a company which was catabatic where we provided remote medical support um and con and uh, we're a consulting firm as well for projects that take place in remote environments um that led to getting the united states antarctic program contract so we've been down in antarctica for about 17 years doing their remote and wilderness projects on the medical side um and then we, because of that, we rolled into Mount Everest, uh, got involved in the Mount Everest base camp medical clinic, um, worked with rescues and medical stuff there. Um, and, and, and along with Catabatic, we also started teaching wilderness medicine courses. Um, all of us are instructors for the University of Colorado um, for other various wilderness medical, medical schools. And it just was a good fit that we were doing this, uh, providing this service, but our clients also wanted some training. So yeah, that's where that came from. And that's kind of what we've been doing for the last 20 years or so. That's really, you know, that, I think when you're looking at, um, when you hear some of the places that y'all have done work with and some of the, like, the, the the true riskiness of going to Antarctica or climbing Mount Everest and all that and the like availability of injury and like real susceptibility to getting hurt. Um, and then you take the fishing side of things and it, you, know, you look at it and go, well, there's no way this is as dangerous as climbing Mount Everest. But I think people really take for, I don't think, I know people really take for granted what they're going to do when they're going fishing. And I think if they thought more about, okay, I'm getting ready to leave the country. I'm getting ready to go to a remote location. Um, and from that remote location, we're going to strike out to even more remote locations. Um, and if I get hurt, how are we going to, how am I going to deal with that? And I, I think when you look at it like that, it's it's absolutely, you know, on a level playing field with somewhere like Mount Everest or Antarctica. You know, for me personally, like if you're, um, I should just like back in January when I broke my arm out on the water and had to use your the Sam splint that you gave me to get back, or before that I was cutting up some meat and about to slice my damn finger off and had to. 15 mile ride back to the boat ramp 
on a you know with a tiller set up on my skiff and you know it was an hour and 20 minutes and and I'm neat, I'm in the middle of civilization that's professional that's super professional my bad dude I, I, I don't I'm not good at this stuff <laughs> that was a phone that was my phone ringing here sorry but I'm saying like what I was getting at was I was in Charleston South Carolina 10 miles from a boat ramp and 10 miles from a major hospital. And it took me an hour and 20 minutes to get there to go get five stitches in my hand. And that was nothing life-threatening. But if it had been something really, really bad, I mean, and we hurried. Like it was, oh, shit, I cut my hand, wrap it up in some paper towels and tape this was before I met Taylor, everybody, by the way, so I didn't have my super high-speed first-aid arsenal like I do now. But I had tape and paper towels. And so I taped my hand up with paper towels, had to run my boat 12 miles back to the boat ramp, back my truck in, load the boat up, and then drive to the hospital, all of which we did with, like, a priority. And that took an hour and 20 minutes. So... You take being in Belize or take Solomon, for example, where Solomon Murphy um, is the bohemian guy that did uh, the first season of Explore With Us in Andros. And he had a horrific boating accident last year where uh, he and a friend of his were conch fishing and Solly leaned over the side of the boat to hand his buddy a conch. And when his buddy leaned forward, he hit the throttle and floored the boat and ran over Solomon. And the prop caught him at his hip and unzipped him all the way down through his ankle and shattered his ankle into a hundred pieces. And they're 20 miles from a boat ramp. That's an hour from an airport. That's an hour from a hospital. And Solomon's friend didn't know how to get back to the boat ramp. You know, and that's the Bahamas. That's not like where you're getting ready to get, you know, to the other side of the world. That's the that's <clears throat> the Bahamas where everybody looks to go fishing, you know, bonefish and tarpon, you know, tarpon permit stuff all the time. And he's lucky to be alive at this point. And he didn't have any first date. So I mean, well, yeah, and I mean. And that's an extreme example. I mean, you you just went to the nth degree on how bad things can happen, right? And but it, it, folks ask us all the time, or, or is this is the course you know worthy? I you know fish the Wind Rivers in Wyoming. I hike in to say Cheeseman Canyon in Colorado for forty five minutes. You know, is is the are these courses appropriate? And absolutely. Um, it doesn't matter if you are an hour or four days from definitive medical care. When life-threatening stuff happens, uh, it's got to be taken care of, right? I mean, right then. Yeah, I mean, it's minutes um, that I, you're talking about. Well, yeah, totally. And again, we're, we're kind of tipping the scale for the really bad things. But look, man, uh, and it's not a scare tactic that we use, but because we're in the medical profession— we review a lot of case reviews from, you know, accidents and incidents. And we'll obviously, you know, I've been a paramedic here for 20 years on the rivers that I guide on. 
Um, so I have responded to a ton of accidents on the rivers. So as we say, our tagline is, it's not a matter of if, but when. Um, and something is going to happen. And it's those really first first couple of minutes that make the difference when you have a life-threatening situation. I think the For thing sure. that people don't consider, though, it's just like you're saying, if they're going to walk 45 minutes in somewhere and they slip on a rock and get a compound fracture in their femur. Like, how the hell are they going to get out? Yeah, I, I mean, mean and, and, and that's it. I don't think that people give enough um, priority to those type of of plans. I was listening to a, a Stephen Ranella's podcast uh, yesterday, and they were talking about a they had a pretty legit bear encounter um, on Frognack Island up in Alaska, and they went back to go get their meat that they'd hung up in this tree, and they sat down to have some sandwiches before they loaded up the meat, and they got like a legit charge into the hanging tree to the point of where one of the dudes hits the bear in the face with a climbing pole, and as the bear's running out, he flips one of the other guys up on the bear's back, and the dude rides him backwards for like 20 feet. Um, And all of them had a legit bear plan going in. Like, they all had pepper spray, they all had pistols or some sort of weapon on them, but it was on their packs, and it it was interesting to listen to them reflect on kind of the absent-mindedness that they had about their bear plan and what they were going to do to change it going forward because it had left them in a spot like where there was a legitimate opportunity for somebody to lose their life. And I, I, it's it sucks to get to, you know, to where you have to have something like that happen to make you prioritize that part of your plan. And they said, you know, one of their changes they were going to do was while they're walking down the trail, they were going to like have, you know, somebody call out draw or call out something to where everybody access their safety stuff from the bear standpoint and to see how long it took them. Because when they got charged, it was a, you know, it was mere seconds from when they heard the bear coming to when it was, you know, in their lap. And I say all that because these guys are. Yeah, where are you, where are you going with this? I'm going. I'm, I'm bringing it back around. I'm bringing it back around. And that <laughs> they are professionals that do this every you know all season long for a living. And it t- and and they got caught that off guard. And you're talking about somebody, you know, people that are going on a trip to just as remote a place interacting with plenty of equipment and things that can hurt them. And there's never, I don't know anybody that in their waiting pack keeps any first aid materials. Like I don't know a, a God's boat that I've gotten on where there's a noticeable first aid kit that I made aware of when I get on the boat. And I don't, you know, I don't know if people think that it's cheesy or corny or they don't want to talk about it, but like 
the more that I've, you know, since I've met you and the more that I've been around the stuff that you gave me, like, it's always with me. I mean, I have a picture to send you. I meant to send it to you the other day where my son Frankie fell in the at the shop and cut his arm up real bad. And, you know, everything that I needed to, to, to treat that little deal was right there in my Conterra box. And, you know, he's bandaged, bandaged up in two seconds and back outside playing again. Then I made it a priority to keep that box on me at all times. Right. Well, here's what we find. I don't think that the the guides and, and anglers and folks think it's corny or they don't want to talk about it. It's the whole adage of you don't know what you don't know. And we've learned this. I mean, we have done local guide services. We have been all over the world to lodges. And the folks just don't understand that there is more to this game than what they have, which which I understand. I, it's kind of sad that I didn't realize this in the angling community, really. Um, at, we might get into that story. But, it, you know, you take a basic first aid class um, or course and with CPR, whatever. A monkey can do CPR. And if you don't have access to 911, it's pointless anyway, right? But the first aid part, they assume that that's it. That's what they need, and they're good to go. So the materials they have, the first aid kit they have, is kind of based on their level of knowledge, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's it. They don't know what they don't know. And, and when we talk to folks or we do a course, we, and I know this sounds corny, and, and I hate it, but it is what it is. Yeah, we kind of blow these people's mind, right? In other words, you know, we by day one, they already are so far ahead of the curve in in wilderness and first aid medicine that it, it, I don't know what I'm trying to say. It just sort of blows their mind, and and it's opportunity. They just didn't know there was a a curriculum or a course that offered you know, more than a basic first aid class. And look, it ain't rocket science. That's the thing. I mean, it's not. Come on. We're teaching stoner raft guides, right, how to do some pretty legit medicine. Um, yeah, but I think it's the, just the process. Yeah, but the thing is, is like, <clears throat> I know until until I met you and started really like mentally wrapping my head around our partnership for Explore that like it really became evident like how unprepared I had been for however many years. Like I was telling you from working on sport fishing boats and and not always knowing where I mean I always knew where our safety gear was as far as like an evacuation, you know, boat evacuation plan where our life rafts were, where our flare guns and all that stuff were. But even on you know but first aid was not um not necessarily on the front of our brains when it came to that planning. And, and that's, that's no bueno, man. I mean, you've got, you've got so much opportunity for stuff to go wrong. that I think once you start teaching these classes and once you start telling people about it, I think the reason they're picking it up so quick is because they're going, holy shit, like this guy's right. All this stuff that could happen here could happen there that I wasn't ready for. And they can, you know, it's not hard to see, something bad happening 
when you start to look at the different types of examples that you're going to give. You know, I mean, if you're going um, down to Belize and you're talking about some dude, you know, walking through coral and severing his Achilles and how do you get that dude out? Like all of a sudden that just became a, a pretty, that became a reality of something that could really easily happen. And so when you're giving these people these classes, they're having to kind of recount the opportunities for disaster that they've been through. And it's like a holy shit moment. What have I been doing? That's what it was for me, at least. Like, why have I not had all this stuff with me all the time? And and now it's like, okay, you know, before we go on any trip now, whether it be going hunting for the weekend or going fishing for a few days, like I make sure and go through that kit that I got from y'all to make sure that I got everything. And it's as important as my fishing gear. And I'm like, I'm thankful for that because I know that the people that are going with me have not done that. Yeah. Speaking of that, you owe me for those uh, kits. I just remember that. I don't owe you shit. Um, yeah, you're right, man. I mean, we keep talking about this over and over. Hopefully we'll get into something more interesting, I think. But there's, it's, it's, you don't know what you don't know. I mean, that's kind of the bottom line. And, and all these examples you are giving, I, man, they're pretty epic. You know, Solomon getting run over and zipped open with a prop. You know, Achilles tendon getting ripped out on the flats of Belize. But, in all honesty, you need to know how to handle that, you know, that bad trauma stuff, without a doubt. But what is just as important, if not more important, are the small things. Because here's what we say at Fins West. A small problem in a remote location gets big really quick. And what I mean by that is this. You're out on the flats and you cut your foot. Right? You decide to go barefoot, you hit some coral, and you cut your foot. No big deal at all. Except for 24 hours later, that cut has now become infected. It hurts. It's swelling up. It's oozing shit. And then on day two, you got to go home, right? Because it's infected um, and it's become bad. The other thing the course does is the recognition of that stuff. How to treat the small stuff to keep it from getting big. And we do see that. I mean, obviously, we talk lodges all over the planet. And one of the main things that goes on is a small thing happens. It's not taken care of. And now their trip's ruined because two days later, they now have to jump on a plane, go to the, the nearest big clinic somewhere and get it taken care of, where in reality, 20 minutes of some vigilant, you know, wound cleaning and and bandaging up would have averted all of that. So that's the other thing. Um, I'll tell you, here's the, here's the deal. And I'm going to just jump. You you didn't, you didn't throw me into this topic, but I'm going to jump into it now because we're talking about really bad stuff. The difference between a basic first aid class, right? That you go down to your local firehouse or, you know, I'm not going to name any of the, of the companies, of course, because they're great. They are awesome courses, but they're specifically designed for an epic to occur. You spend eight minutes freaking out. You dial 911, fire, ambulance, monkeys show up, and you're good to go. That's what they train you for, is eight minutes of taking care of something bad and then waiting for the paramedics to show up. 
that's not an option when you are it doesn't matter. You're in Cheeseman Canyon, you're in the Wind Rivers of Wyoming, or you're on a flat in Belize. There is no nine one one coming in eight minutes. So these courses take it beyond that, you know, eight minutes of freaking out when the when the actual paramedics show up. Yeah, and I will give you credit. Your examples were much better than mine. <laughs> well, it's what I do, buddy. I mean, I've done, I've been there and done that as far as cut my foot, get it infected, blah blah blah. Although I'm, you know, I'm either too tough or too dumb to let it send me home. You're both. Well, not now. Now you know what to do. Now I'm prepared. And you know. Oh, yeah, that's right. And here's the other thing. There's another, you know, section in our course, what we call red flags. Um, and we see this a lot. Um, you are somewhere, and again, I keep saying remote, and, and for the two people that are listening to your podcast, I don't want to put this vision in their head that it is an atoll in Belize or you're in Alaska and you got dropped off by a float plane. Uh, that is remote, but again, uh, an hour drive with no cell service, a 45-minute hike into the river, that's just as remote as Belize, yeah. right? But well, the point is the medical stuff. The trauma stuff is pretty straightforward once you have the, you know, once you've got the skills and the experience to deal with trauma. But it's the medical shit that, that scares people. S- belly pain abdominal pain right when do you push the red button you're at a remote camp your buddy's having this pain in his right side when do you say all right let's get ahead of this pack up and go versus uh it's you know what i mean it's uh indigestion let's just wait it out and take some pepsi those are the things that we really focus on because if let's say a great example is appendicitis how to recognize is this appendicitis or indigestion? And if you think it's appendicitis, it's now time to push the red button and get out. Because if you don't, when something bad happens, you blow up your appendix, you're done, right? You're so far behind the eight ball that it's pointless. And a lot of folks say, well, you know, it ruins the trip. We've got to go through all this logistics to get out and we get to definitive care. And they say, you know what? It's all good. You know, I'll take that road any day of the week versus sitting on somebody that their appendix just exploded all over their belly, right? Yeah, no joke. So it's the the medical stuff um, that we focus on as well is just, and we call it when to push the red button. So (laughs) I don't know how to mute this phone, man. I really don't. You're so important. I'm sorry. You're so important. But so I think yeah, everything that uh, you're saying, everything you're good. saying, though, just like reinforces, you know, yeah, we're not just talking about the like absolute crazy ass extreme remote spots. Like we're talking about being eight miles from the boat ramp in Charleston, South Carolina, with you know pretty quick access to medical care. You know that when do you make the call to leave? When do you make the call to go to the hospital? When do you make the call to self medicate? You know. Any of that stuff, I think, is freaking vitally important. Copy. Copy, yeah. 
I've got Taylo here on Skype to where I can see what he's doing. Unfortunately, y'all can't. Um, where he's clearly trying to multitask right now, which does not work. Well, let's let's give our two listeners. I, I've never done a podcast. I mean, obviously, I've talked to you on the phone forever. I've done some filming stuff for you know whoever, but I've never had my bow headphones on, looking at you sitting in your house talking about. So this is all new. Well, hey, you're doing great. Thank you, buddy. I feel good. So, so yeah. Now that we've talked about the medical stuff, um, let's talk a little bit about, um, I got a few things I wanted to touch on, kind of the adventure stuff that I did my, um, I don't even see what that is. Oh. I just sent you a text. Yeah, yeah. I already asked you that. <laughs> I did. I did too. I said, tell me your background on Fins West. <laughs> hey, tell me how Fins West got started. How about that? I do hope that thousands of people listen to this. It's going to be great. Yeah. So, how did Finn's so West get started? <laughs> so, Finn's West is actually sort of the angling arm of, of Catabatic Consulting, Catabatic Mountain School. And I think it's pertinent, uh, you know, to our dis- podcast discussion here. Um but obviously, I'm a guide, right? Um, guide in Chile, in the in the in our winter times, and then got here in Colorado in the summer. But I got asked to do a, a talk, right, on I don't know wilderness first aid considerations for anglers, outfitters, and whatever, and in at a fly fishing show in Denver. And when I finished. A dude came up, John Perry, he's the owner of Angler's Alibi up in Alaska, and he said, hey, man, need to get you up to the lodge and do a course, do an emergency action plan for us and, and kind of get us dialed in. And the light bulb it obviously exploded in my small pea brain. That's a miracle. Never put together- <laughs> that alone is a miracle. <laughs> I never put our medical side and then – the guiding fishing career side together ever it's kind of weird and that's kind of how fins west started because once folks started finding out about what we were offering lodges and outfitters that is um it just started to snowball and here's my point the whole reason that 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 story came out is this and i don't know maybe i'm hammering destination lodges i I shouldn't do that because they're our bread and butter but I assume that these folks were dialed, right, on sort of the medical side of things. Um, and they weren't because they didn't know what they didn't know, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it was ignorance. It wasn't like. No, don't say that because these are the people that hire us. I don't think it was ignorance. No, no, no. I don't mean just... that in like a derogatory term. I'm just saying <laughs> it wasn't like it wasn't like complete, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of the word I'm looking for here. It wasn't like they were, they knew it was there and they were just turning their head away from it. Like right. it was more that they, right. that they didn't know that. And like, like everybody, they didn't know they hadn't been really faced with an emergency situation that they needed that info. And then when you go talk to them, it's like, holy shit. Oh yeah. Well, actually it, it, 
a lot of the places we go have had some pretty bad shit go down. But they just didn't know that it could have been handled. I don't, yeah, we've gone down this rabbit hole, but that there were, there was a better option for some training. And I think it's professional. I think if you're going to be a, a, a guide or an outfitter or a lodge owner, I, part of the professional responsibility is first aid and medicine. Absolutely. That, that goes hand in hand. I couldn't agree more. But anyway, um, all right, so all of this, uh, I want to tie some of this into the the kind of mission of Explore, but like, you know, part of part of why you're into all this is like you're, not to sound cheesy, but like your spirit of adventure that you have in you that has taken you from North Carolina to Colorado to all over the world to these places doing stuff, like... Tell me a little bit about where that comes from with, for you. Like, how did you get into all this stuff? Huh. That's a loaded question, dude. Nobody wants to hear um, all the details. We just want the hot points. <laughs> well, I think it's like any of us, right? That where travel, adventure, remote places, uh, it's, it's all kind of seated. And just because I'm an idiot, I figured medicine could get me there. And that was the whole end game to do remote wilderness medicine. And in order to, to get to these places, I needed to inject the medicine side into things. Plus it's a good thing. You know, we're not selling fly rods. We're not selling, you know, bags and packs. We're we're actually offering a pretty cool service to, to places. So, yeah, that was it, man. The whole, I was sitting in the front seat of an ambulance wearing a bulletproof vest in downtown Denver for DG Ambulance and said, I got to I gotta do something different. I mean, I've learned my medicine. Uh, you know, I'm getting shot at nightly. I need to pick it up. And boom, I saw an ad for needed a paramedic in Antarctica. And that, that, that was June. And in August of 95, I think, 96, I was there. I said, this is it. So I went down, and that was the catalyst for for all this stuff. Because once once we got there, the adventure of being in Antarctica led to going to base camp at Mount Everest doing medicine and then started guiding, which, you know, I, obviously I love my local fisheries, but wanted to go deeper and further for other fish, and the way to get there was, <laughs> was medicine. Yeah. And that, that was it. Now, did you have any, like, family members that, I mean, did you grow up fishing and hunting and doing that stuff, or was it something that you kind of pursued on your own? Yeah, no, man. Come on. I'm a redneck from North Carolina, from Boone, of all places, right? Well, your neck's, so, yeah, co- your neck's dad, covered right now with a glorious mullet that you've taken on through the summertime. <laughs> For people that can't see, like, it's savage. No doubt. Um, yeah, man. I My dad and brother, we were big duck hunters. Um, deer hunters I, when I was obviously back there. So the outdoors was important. I mean, it was good stuff. Um, then when I came out west, I, everything took over. I was a climbing guide for a while. I was a whitewater rafting guide for a while. I actually really didn't fish, sort of stopped fishing when I got out here because of everything. There was the medicine part. There was the rafting and guiding part that was going on. Um, so, yeah, it's always been a big part big part of growing up and 
you know, I know this sounds cheesy, I swear, but I, when I picked the fly rod back up, that was it. I mean, when I mean that was it, I literally stopped working full-time on the ambulance and started guiding full-time and obviously running our company, and it just kicked from there, man. And I've been lucky, too. Just like Oliver has said, I've been very fortunate to be at the right place at the right time, meet the right people like yourself and Oliver White and those folks that are in the industry that actually appreciate and understand what we're doing and have kind of have been the catalyst for us getting where we're going. Well, I think, you know, you, you talk about like being in the right place at the right time. I don't know that it's, if it were that easy, I think more people would be doing it. I think, you know, for your story and it was a, a, a lifetime of things that you did to put yourself in that position to be able to take advantage of that skill set. I mean, I, it's not like you're just kind of ho-hum, bebopping around a damn river and somebody comes up and like dumps this opportunity in your lap. I mean, you, you, you did the, you were kind of that whole outdoors lifestyle was implanted in you early. And, you know, whether you saw it or not, your interaction with the outdoors, you know, fostered and grew a skill set for you that you saw necessary and has put you in this position now. I mean, I, I think that it's, I look at the stuff that I've done has been kind of the same thing. Like it's all been at this end game to just be happy and be doing something that means a ton to me. And it's not necessarily like I want to be a fishing guide or I want to be an angler or I want to be a this or that. Like, I think as you mature, you look at like, what are things that I can do around that to still keep me into the stuff that I, the stuff that keeps driving me. And, you know, I look at what you do with the fence West stuff, with the guiding stuff, with traveling to Chile, with the place you're getting ready to go now. Like you've really been able to leverage a, an expert skill set to further a passion that you have as well, which is really, really cool. Uh, how do I respond to that? <laughs> well, I'm saying I think people should people should know that because it's not like everybody's some freaking trust fund kid that's out here bebopping around. Like it takes freaking hard work to get to where you can make a living doing something that you really enjoy. And when it's something like the outdoors, you know, with hunting and fishing and and being outside, like that's a much different that's a much, much different, like soulful experience than, you know, I'm a pro golfer or, you know, I'm a, a great attorney or I'm a, you know, I mean, it's, it's just a much different thing. Yeah, I agree, man. I couldn't, well, it's like medicine, right? I knew without a doubt that I could not do traditional pre-hospital paramedic medicine my entire career. And those folks that do it, I God bless them. I mean, I think it's awesome. But, you know, at some point, it just wears on you, right? Because you don't, you don't get called when somebody's having a great time. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, true. you get called when the, when the shit is not good. But I wanted to stay in medicine because I like helping people. I know that sounds cheesy, but I do like helping people. And we just sort of segued into, like, what we're doing now, which I, well, I don't know if we'll talk about it, but, like, going down to Guyana. We're offering this amazing foundation and, and this awesome program. Well, hey, well, back up and back up and tell everybody about that. Tell both tell both people about that. 
nice. Um, so yeah, one cool thing um, we're getting ready to do. Matter of fact, we're going tomorrow. Um, Indie Fly. And I don't know if you guys have ever heard of Indie Fly. If you hadn't, please look them up. It's the Indie Fly Foundation. Um, these guys go into uh, indigenous locations, um, you know, a village somewhere where, uh, you know, I wish I had their website up because now I sound like a, a moron. Oliver's probably going to call me. He's not going to listen to this. So He's matter. not one of the two. That's right. Um, but yeah, they roll into a situation where there is a fishery, right? There's a sport fishery that can be developed. And around this indigenous population, logging, um, overfishing, oil and gas has come in and sort of decimating their way of life for thousands of years. So IndyFly, which started by Oliver White, Costa, Al Perkins, those guys, or Perkinson, sorry, um, they come in and develop a, uh, a viable fishing opportunity for these folks. Get them going, get a business plan going, um, teach them, teach the guides how to guide, how to run a business, and then they turn it over to them. And now these folks can sustain also protecting their environment and their fishery. They also have money coming in where they don't have to deal with oil, gas, logging, that kind of stuff. It's just an amazing thing. And one of the places that they actually, their their first and premier project was uh, in Guyana for the Mare Indians uh, in the Guyanese jungle. And, of course, the fish there's the Arapama, the largest scaled freshwater fish in the world. And Oliver went down, and as Oliver does, you know, first person to catch one of these fish on a fly. And from that point on, they developed uh, Rewa Eco Lodge for fishing for the Arapama. And it's been amazing. It's been absolutely insane what's what they've done. So the missing link now was to get in and get these guides and staff and the village folks dialed in on uh, on some wilderness medicine, first aid, that kind of stuff. Because man, they are as remote as you can get. Period. Now, what are we so, yeah, be taking? What are we all be taking down there? You mean to teach? Yeah, I mean, like, what are y'all leaving them with, supplies wise, stuff like that? Yeah, so, you know, now, and it's pretty funny, because, again, they didn't, oh, now, now, obviously, they have Matt Bauer, who's the American sort of lodge manager, and Matt's pretty dialed. You know, he guides in Montana and fishes all over the world. Same thing. They had first aid kits. They do have first aid kits, but when we were kind of doing the, the preliminary evaluation, they didn't know what they didn't know. They had what they thought they needed. So we're going to go in and make sure that their kits, both for their for their boats, which are 30-foot dugouts that are carved out of local trees, incredible. Um, we're going to make sure they have what they need that matches the training. So I don't know what we're taking down. We're just taking down a bunch of shit and leaving what we need to leave for them. So you're basically just going down to go fishing for a few days? Is that what you're saying? And that's it. And we're coming full circle. Um, we're doing a good thing, I think. Um, we're actually donating this course for to IndyFly just because it's such a good program. Um, but, yeah, we're going to go down, do a three-day custom course, dial in their emergency action plan and their first aid kits, and hopefully rip the lip off of our Palma while we're there. Roger. So, yeah. Well, dude, thank you for uh, bearing with me on this technical difficulty. Um, 
tell everybody, tell both people listening how uh, how they can get how they can find you, um, you know, where they can find you online, social media, where they can follow along, all that good stuff. Yeah, man, pretty straightforward. It is www.finswest.com. That'll get you to our site. We're also on Instacrack. Um, thanks to Frankie, he's worked with me on Instagram to help us help us throw our our travels on Instagram. Um, what is our Instagram? I don't even know. Is it what at Fins West? Yeah, at Fins West. There you go. Yeah, and Facebook, the same thing. I think we're Fins West on Facebook too. And guys, if any of y'all out there listening, I would highly suggest um, getting in touch with Taylor and and trying to set up some classes um, locally. I mean, he's happy to get on a plane um, and and come out and teach courses remotely. Anybody that um, any any of my buddies that are sport fishing guys, if you can get a group together, get your boss to um, to look at this, call Taylor. You know, get him on the phone and see how he can get out and uh, and help you be prepared for uh, any bad stuff that may be coming down the pipe. Um, and also, now, do y'all have like a list of lodges that you've trained and that are kind of Fins West accredited? Do y'all do anything like that? Or yeah, I, not really. I mean, I think if you peruse our website, it becomes apparent the lodges that we do. But I, no, I don't. I hadn't put up. I don't know why, just because. But we, we don't. <laughs> well, if any, if, if any of these the two people listening have a lodge that they go to, um, suggest that they they call Taylor. Um, suggest that they uh, make sure and keep their, their first aid stuff updated. Um, just like you're saying, small problems become big problems quick. And, you know, having somebody that knows what they're doing and the stuff going on um, – is a huge, huge help. But, dude, can't thank you enough for coming on, for taking the time out of your day. I know y'all are getting ready to rock out to Guyana tomorrow. Um, can't wait to hear about it when you get back. Right on, buddy. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me, man. It's always a pleasure to shoot the ship, Frank. Absolutely, dude. And we'll uh, we'll catch back up when you get back on. All right, buddy. Oh, guys, be safe. See ya. All right, so that wraps up episode five of the Explore Project podcast. Um, like we were saying before, please reach out, uh, follow Fins West at Fins West on Instagram and Facebook, FinsWest.com online. And uh, if you're an outfitter, if you're a boat captain, if you're an angler, if you're whoever, um, you owe it to yourself to. Uh, give them a follow and reach out to Mike and get some extra training. Um, it's been absolutely beneficial to us. It has made mine, my family's and my friends trips together, uh, outdoors, uh, to alleviated any of that risk or concern of something going wrong. And we've used the, the first aid kit a couple of times since then, um, to, 
take care of some injuries. So anyway, follow us, share this podcast, subscribe, like, comment, tell us what you like, what you don't. Um, you can follow us at, at Explore Boatworks on Instagram, at Explore Project, at C1 Films, uh, all on Instagram and Facebook. Websites are exploreproject.com, X-P-L-O-R, uh, exploreboatworks.com, and c1films.com. But thank you so much for listening. Look forward to getting you episode six. Have a great day. See ya. (laughs)